If you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. Been working our way through this letter. And actually, this week, we're going to jump ahead because of our occasion today of ordaining and installing new elders and deacons, new leaders over our church. We're going to hear what Peter has to say about leadership to the church as a, as a pilgrim people, as a people who are wandering, um, strangers and foreigners. So let's give our attention to God's word. First Peter chapter 5. If you're using... Uh, the Bible that's there in the row, you should find it on page 1016. Let's give our attention to God's word. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Heavenly Father, you have not left us to ourselves, and we are grateful for that. Even as we are away from home, even as we live as strangers and foreigners in a strange land, you have provided leadership. You've provided leadership through your word and by the power of your spirit. We pray that you would speak this morning to us through that word by your spirit. That you would teach us. That you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. And that you would help us to see our Savior, Jesus. You also lead us through men whom you have set apart. Whom you have called and whom you equip. Again, by your word and spirit. And so we pray that you would, as, that you would help us as your people uh, to receive and trust your good leadership. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the pitfalls. So last week we talked about, uh, we talked about marriage and how God orders the home. Uh, and one of the, the pitfalls of preaching about marriage is then you have to go home and live uh, what you preached. Happy Mother's Day. Failed to say that at the welcome time. So there you go. Mothers, we're thankful for you. Um, happy, happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, so this week, I figured we'd pick something easier to talk about leadership. You know, um, when you when you think about when you think about leadership, when that when you hear that word, what do you what does that make you feel? What does that make you think of? I recognize that there's there's a certain cynicism in our day and age, and maybe it's always 
been there, uh, but certainly in our day and time, there's a lack of trust in leadership. Uh, you think about our elected officials. You think about maybe a boss that you have or have had. Think about even scandals in church leadership. Uh, there's, there's enough ammunition out there to make us say, man, is, is it even worth it? Is there anybody who's worth following, or should we just hunker down? Uh, should we just withdraw? So I want to remind you what Peter's doing in this letter. He's, he's encouraging uh, a beleaguered church, a church under social pressure, even under attack, a church that because it has a living hope, because it has a new identity. That's what Peter has told us, that, this, that those who are united to Jesus have been born again. They have a living hope. They have a new identity. They have a new master. And because they have a new master, because they have a new Lord, that changes their loyalties. They are now out of step with the society around them. They're out of step with family members. They're out of step with friends and neighbors. They're following the beat of a different drum, and that's caused, that, that causes conflict, that causes strain, that causes pain. And so Peter's writing to encourage them. He's writing to encourage us. We have the same identity. We may not be feeling things exactly the way that they felt them, but that identity is still true. We are out of step with the society around us if we belong to Jesus. If he is Lord, then we have loyalty to him and him alone. But in the midst of that, right, think, about, think about how the community treats this, how the, how the outside world treats this community. Now I want you to think about the, the men who are called to lead that community. In the, the men who are called to lead this pilgrim people. The target on their back would be bigger. Right? If the, if the community, if the world views the church with suspicion, then those who lead the church are viewed with even greater suspicion. And so Peter wants to encourage them also. We haven't looked at this part yet, but really the section that leads up to this, the reason that Peter begins 5.1 by saying so or therefore, just before this, he's kind of made this pretty startling statement, and we'll get to look at this in a, in a future sermon in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. He says there's a trial coming. And it's going, to, it, it's, a, it's a testing trial. It's a purifying fire. Just a few verses later, he says in verse 17, It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the good news, the gospel of God. What Peter's saying is that there is, that, that there is a judgment coming and it will purify the church. And Peter's actually getting his language from the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 9 where God says the same thing through Ezekiel. And where that judgment begins in Ezekiel is with the elders who stand before the temple. And so... What, what Peter, is, Peter is doing the exact same thing. What Peter is saying is, I exhort the elders because the elders 
will not stand outside the fire. They will lead the people through it. Kevin, I thought you said Peter was trying to encourage us. We'll get there, I hope. But what he's saying is one day the great shepherd will return and all the judgment and purifying will be done. But until that day, he has put in place leaders. Until Jesus returns, he puts leaders in place over his church. And so what kind of leader does Jesus employ for his flock? If he's the the good shepherd, if he's the chief shepherd, what kind of leader follows Jesus? What kind of leader does Jesus put in charge of his flock in the meantime? And how is the flock to respond to that leadership? And so Peter makes two appeals. He makes an appeal to the shepherds and he makes an appeal to the sheep. Let's start with the appeal to the shepherds. He says, 5-1, I exhort, I appeal, I urge the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd is the main verb in this passage. Shepherd the flock of God. That image, uh, that shepherding image is rich in the Bible. All the way back in Genesis 48, Joseph calls God his shepherd, the shepherd of his whole life. You may know that King David, the most famous king in Israel's history, was a shepherd before he was a king. You may be familiar. In fact, we just sang words from Psalm 23 that talks about the Lord being the good shepherd. He says, shepherd the flock of God. That's that right off the bat. That's an important point. This is God's flock. It is not it is not the flock of the elders. It is not the flock of the pastor. It is God's flock. So to every leader and to every would be leader, this is God's flock, not ours. It's common uh, when pastors get together uh, to say, oh, what's going on in your church or what's going on in my church? And we use those those pronouns to Almost to talk to talk about our churches. Uh, And so it's always helpful to remind people it's not my church. It's Jesus's church. Shepherd the flock of God. Some men are called to be shepherds. But they are first and foremost sheep. Every elder is first and foremost a sheep. He belongs to Jesus Before anyone else. And what these shepherds do, Peter says, is they oversee, they exercise oversight. They look over the flock, they inspect it, they care for it. How do they do that? Well, he gives three motives, three contrasting statements. First, he says they do it not begrudgingly. This, uh, in verse 2, it says, not under compulsion, but willingly. They oversee not begrudgingly, not, not forced into it out of laziness. Well, I guess if no one else will do it, I'll do it. Right? That's not the motive. We don't want that. Nor are they compelled out of fear. Fear of man. 
right? We don't, we don't, we're not compelled by laziness or by fear. Rather, we are compelled to gladly shepherd God's flock, willingly, voluntarily, uh, unlike the reports that we've been receiving about the, the Russian army in Ukraine, how much of it we can trust is still up for debate, and yet one of the constant refrains, especially in the early goings of the war, is that Russia's army looks uh, confused. They lack motivation. Uh, a number of stories about not understanding what they're doing, what the mission is. Right? They're a conscripted force that's been loaded up and carted off to somewhere to fight someone else's war. That's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for begrudging fighters. We're looking for willing fighters, willing shepherds. We don't want to be coerced. And then he says this, as God would have you. Literally, it's according to God, according to the pattern set by God in Scripture. What, what is that pattern? Well, if you want a, a positive, if you want to know what it should look like, you can read Psalm 23. Uh, we, can, we can pattern our shepherding care after uh, what is said of God in Psalm 23. Ezekiel 34 is another place that helps us, uh, and it helps us by telling us what not to be like. Ezekiel 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, O shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat You clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. That is the opposite of the Lord's pattern. That is the opposite of how the Lord feeds his sheep. In fact, just... A little bit later on in Ezekiel 34, God says that he will go and he will seek his sheep. He will bind up the broken. He will heal the sick. He will be the shepherd that the, the shepherds of Israel were not. That's the pattern, the glad pattern that we are to imitate as leaders. So not under compulsion, but willingly. And then he says this, not greedy, Uh, Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So not greedy, but glad. Not for financial gain or recognition. John Calvin, when he reached the end of his life, uh, knew he'd he'd made a a great contribution to the church. And he knew the pressure, uh, the, the, the desire that people would feel to come and visit his grave. And so he told the people as he was dying, he said, bury me in an unmarked grave. No one needs to, rem- no, no one needs to come visit me. John Knox, uh, who was a reformer in Scotland and who is the, uh, the founder of Presbyterianism, his, his grave is a parking spot in Edinburgh. Parking spot number 23. There's no... There's no heroes here. 
There's only one shepherd, and he deserves all the recognition. There's no, there's no gain to be had, only glad service. There's joy, Peter says, in pointing people to Jesus. There's heartache, there's sorrow. You have the responsibility of carrying other people's stories, and that's heavy. But there's also joy. There's gladness in following Jesus. Now, it's an upside-down joy. We've been saying all along in Peter that that the church is upside-down to the world. Our our values, what we want, what we want to see, what we want to happen, those are upside-down. Right, the world says, receive gladness, receive your joy from feeding yourself, from making yourself happy. Jesus says, those who want life need to give their lives away. If you want to experience happiness, give your life away. That's, that's the joy of the shepherd. That's the glad service of the leader. And Jesus promises that that, that, that downward path will lead to life. That more joy is found. What what does Jesus say? It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's that's the motto here. And then he says this, not domineering. Exercise oversight, not domineering, but being examples to the flock. When I preached this passage back in the fall, uh, when we did our series on leadership, I shared with you the story uh, of the, uh, the tour guide in Israel. It was a bus tour. Uh, they were going through the, the, the countryside outside of Jerusalem. And the bus driver, or the, the tour guide, was saying how in Israel, shepherds lead their sheep from behind, not from out front. Uh, and, and one confused tourist hollers out because he sees out the window uh, a man uh, who is, excuse me, shepherds lead the sheep from out front, not from behind. Excuse me. Shepherds lead from out front, not from behind. So this tourist looks out the window and he sees a man who's driving the sheep from behind yelling at them. And so he puts his hand up and he says, hey, I thought you said shepherds didn't do that. And so the tour guide, a little embarrassed, asks the bus driver to stop and he hops off the bus to go talk to the man. Uh, And then uh, he comes back on the bus with a smile on his face. And they're all like, "What's, what's the deal? What's going on? He says, oh, well, that was the butcher, not the shepherd. Shepherds, shepherds lead from out front, not from behind. Uh, Hal Moore was a lieutenant colonel uh, in the U.S. Army in 1965. Uh, he was a lieutenant colonel when he led his troops into battle in the Ayadrang Valley in Vietnam. He tells his story in the book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young. That book has been turned into a movie. It stars Mel Gibson. It's a favorite. Uh, Moore... He was part of the air cavalry, so they, they rode helicopters into battle. Moore said that it was common for commanders in his day, that every, every commanding officer had their own command and control helicopter, and a lot of them would fly above the battlefield in their helicopter. But Moore refused to do that. He chose to be on the battlefield and said, he said, it's too easy to be crisp, cool, and detached at 1,500 feet too easy to demand the impossible of your troops, too easy to make mistakes that are fatal only to those souls far below in the mud, the blood, 
and the confusion. As he was training his men before they left to go into battle, he said this, I can't promise you that I will bring you all home alive. But this I swear before you and before Almighty God, that when we go into battle, I will be the first to set foot on the field, and I will be the last to step off, and I will leave no one behind. Dead or alive, we will all come home together. So help me God. That's the kind of leaders that we're looking for. Shepherds who are the first on and the last off. Now that all sounds like a really tall order. What in the world would make that worth it? Look in verse 4. While there may not be financial gain and while we're not to look for financial gain or for reputation, we do see that there is a reward. Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There is a gain to faithful leadership. And it's the glory that only Jesus bestows. In 70 or 80 years, no one will remember us. If Grace Fellowship is still here, right? I, I look around at these windows. I don't know any of the names on these windows. If Grace Fellowship is still here in 70 or 80 years, I don't know that I will be remembered. But Peter says Jesus does not forget. Even if my name is just a footnote in history, even if your name is completely erased and forgotten, it will not be forgotten by Jesus. There is a reward that he gives, and it is an unfading crown of glory. And so we rest in that. And that is our hope. That's Peter's appeal to the shepherd. But he also makes an appeal to the sheep. In verse 5. He says, you who are younger. Now, he doesn't mean young in age necessarily. He means young in station. He means if, if elder refers to those who are in authority, and it does, then verse 5, younger refers to those who are under that authority. Those who submit to the elders. That's what Peter says. You who are younger... Be subject to the elders. Submit yourselves. If the elders are to lead, and if they are leading in and to Jesus, then we must submit to them. If they are serving as Jesus' under-shepherds, and if they're serving in the way that we've just described, then it shouldn't be too hard to submit to them. Though I acknowledge it won't always be easy. Hebrews 13.17 puts, puts it this way. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So those who are called into leadership have an account to give. 
just earlier, Peter says uh, in verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, your portion. Every leader in the church has an assignment. The assignment is that they keep watch over those souls. They will have to give an account for those souls. The writer to the Hebrews says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be no advantage of no advantage to you. If you want to pull that insert out of your bulletin. At the bottom of it, you'll find the vow that our church members will take today. Here's what here's what our members will agree to. It says, do you, the members of this church, acknowledge and receive these brothers as ruling elders and deacons? And do you promise to yield them all that honor, encouragement and obedience in the Lord to which their office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles them? Are you willing to submit to yield them honor, encouragement and obedience Lord willing, these men will be in your homes. They will teach us. They will teach our children. They may be at your hospital bed. They may be at your deathbed. Can you yield them the honor, encouragement, and obedience they need for that task? What does that look like? What does it look like for us to honor these men as the ones that Jesus has appointed to the task. First, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for them. Pray for their faithfulness. Pray for their relationship to Jesus. Pray that their delight in God would grow deeper and stronger as the years pass. Pray for their holiness. Pray that they would walk with God. That they would be ready repenters. That they would love grace and that they would strive for holiness. Pray for their families. Pray for their, their wives who will labor alongside them. Who may not know everything that they are going through. Who may sometimes have to watch and pray on their own because they cannot share the burden that only the elders share. But they must share it all the same. Because they have to live with that man. Pray for them. Pray for their children. Pray that the gospel would be just as real at home. That they would be men of integrity. Men who live the gospel at home just like they do in front of you, Lord willing. And pray for their wisdom and pray for their courage. As they lead the church in exile. A strange people in a strange land. The second thing is gratitude. Give them thanks. Again, as Hebrews says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Thank them for their service. Thank them for, be, for being willing to step into this gap. Thank them for, for leading into the fiery trial rather than standing outside of it. And then, obedience, submission. Ask yourself, what can I do to set these men up for success? How, 
How can I serve the church in a way that brings joy to them and advantage to the church? And do that. Now, that's a lot of, that's a lot of heavy stuff. What is it that qualifies someone to lead in Jesus' church? Well, Peter gives us a clue. You look back at verse 1. He exhorts them, but he calls himself a fellow elder. He calls himself three things. A fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, if you don't know Peter's story, it would be easy to assume that this is where he started. But if you know Peter's story, you know that this man, this humble man who says, I'm just a fellow elder, I'm just in the trenches with you, didn't start there. Right? He's, he was Jesus's, he was a close friend of Jesus. He was Jesus's most outspoken and proud disciple. Uh, in fact, in Mark 8 and in Matthew 16, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter gets the answer right. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Peter says, you're right. Excuse me, and Jesus says, you're right. And then Jesus goes on to say, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. And I'm going to be killed. And Peter says, no, you're not. The irony of saying, you're the Messiah, and I'm going to tell you what to do. Right? So much so that Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are derailing. You, you are seeking to derail the mission. Later on, uh, when Jesus is sharing a meal, his last meal with his friends, uh, and he tells, he tells them, what, again, what's going to happen? I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be betrayed. And, and Peter says... Even if everybody else leaves, I won't leave you. And Jesus says, not so fast. You, Peter, will deny me before the rooster crows three times. Excuse me, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. But there, of course, all the disciples are like, no, 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 that'll never happen. We're going to stand right by your side, Jesus. Peter can't even stay awake to pray with Jesus through the garden. And then when Jesus is arrested... Peter, Peter follows at a distance. The, the proud, mighty Peter, who wasn't going to leave Jesus' side, now following him at a distance, just waiting to see what's going to happen. And as Jesus is on trial before the, the sham Jewish court, Peter stands at a distance, warming himself by the fire while his master is spit upon and cursed and mocked and beaten. And then a, a little teenage girl, little servant girl, no, no voice or authority in society whatsoever. She says, she comes up and she says, hey, you were with him. And Peter says, not me, I don't know what you're talking about. And again, she says, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure your accent, you're a Galilean, I'm, you're with him. And Peter, with more force, says, no, I tell you, I wasn't. And then a third time, no, you're with Jesus. And Peter curses himself and says, I do not know the man. 
And the rooster crows. And Jesus turns his face and he looks at Peter. And Peter is broken. And he runs off in shame. But that's not the end of Peter's story. After Jesus is crucified, after the resurrection, Jesus and his, uh, Peter and his friends are going fishing. And Jesus meets them by the lake. He cooks breakfast, he eats breakfast with them. And then he pulls Peter off to the side. We read this in John 21. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Same word that Peter uses here. Shepherd the flock is feed my sheep. Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Tend my lambs. And then a third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And it says that, Je- that Peter is grieved because he asked him the third time. But how many denials were there? Three. And how many times does Jesus reinstate Peter? Three. For every denial, Peter gets the opportunity to say, yes, Lord, I love you. And, Peter's par- and Jesus' parting instruction to Peter is, feed my sheep. So Peter knows what it means to fail. Peter knows what it means to betray. And Peter knows what it means to be restored by grace. That same Peter would go on to be filled with the Holy Spirit, preach in front of thousands on the day of Pentecost, uh, be brought before those same Jewish authorities multiple times, thrown in jail, We're not looking for perfect leaders. We're looking for men who know how to lead with a limp. Men who know how to be broken and redeemed by love. Because those are the kind of men who know how to feed Jesus' sheep. Let's pray. Our great shepherd, we come to you. And we pray that you would imprint these things on our hearts And on the life of our church, thank you for the gospel, for the good news that those who have fallen and failed in pride are not cast off forever. But there is repentance, there is faith, and there is joy. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.
T'was grace that taught my heart to fear And grace my fears relieved How precious did that grace appear The hour I My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing. can be seated. And as you're being seated, I want to invite our new officer, uh, new elder and deacon uh, candidates up. So uh, Fred, you can come and stand down here to my right. 
Fred Gentry, Rick Kofer, um, John Blank, Jay Vincent are our elders. Our deacons are Paul Smith, Gary Tate, and Rob Palmer. And as these men are making their way forward, I just want to share with you, uh, I think it's the reason why you nominated them, uh, these men have already been serving. Uh, Fred has been serving uh, as our music leader for a number of years uh, and asked, since he was under consideration for elder, if Matt could take over for him, uh, which he has. Uh, Rob has been up here with chainsaw and other tools. Gary was here the other day with a can of paint, unasked for. Um, Rick is teaching our upper elementary school Sunday school class. They were building the tabernacle. There was fire involved. It was great. Um, Jay has been hosting a growth group in his home for a few years. And so these men uh, are already showing you what it looks like to be a servant. And so uh, they are really, we, we, don't, uh, we don't aim to ordain people uh, who are not already serving in some capacity. And so I'm thankful for these men and for their willingness to serve. Gentlemen, if you will look at me, I have some questions to ask you. The vows that we have gone over and talked about. But now you need to affirm them in front of your church. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your session the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow? Lots of words in there. Do you? Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America? In conformity with the general principles of biblical polity. Do you accept the office of ruling elder or deacon as the case may be in this church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer. Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? Do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church? All right. Now, this question is for you, the members of Grace Fellowship. So if you're just visiting, you don't have to respond to this. But if you are a member of this church... I want you to affirm the following question, and you can do so by raising your right hand. Do you, the members of this church, acknowledge and receive these brothers as ruling elders or deacons? And do you promise to yield to them all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which their office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles them? You may signify that by raising your right hand. Thank you. All right, we have some special guests here today. Some former elders are going to join our 
uh, elder up here, Steve Tipton. And so let me invite Paul Connor and Buddy Johnson to come down as able. And we're going to lay hands on these men and we're going to pray for them. So if you guys will join me over here, we're going to lay hands on them in a nice way. You guys want to join us over here, we'll lay hands on the new officers. I'm going to pray. Father in heaven, thank you for answering our prayers. Uh, Lord, over two years ago, we began praying that you would provide new leadership for your church, and you have provided. And now, Lord, uh, the work really begins. And so we pray that as you have called these men, so you will equip them for the task to which you have called them. Lord, we pray that you would give them courage that they would be able to stand firm in the day of trouble. We pray, God, that you would give them love, that they would exemplify that servant-hearted love, Lord Jesus, that you uh, showed in your own life, uh, even in washing your disciples' feet. Uh, There we find that you, Jesus, loved your own to the end. I pray that these men would love the people of Grace Fellowship to the end. Lord, I also pray that you would give them a deeper and richer love for you. That, in fact, their love for you, or rather your love for them, would give them courage. Would give them love for those who are under their care. And would give them humility. And Lord, we thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Gentlemen, just a few more words. Having given you the right hand of fellowship... I now pronounce and declare that J. Vincent, Fred Gentry, Paul Smith, Gary Tate, Rick Kofer, and Rob Palmer have been regularly elected, ordained, and installed as ruling elders and deacons in this church, agreeable to the word of God and according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such, they are entitled to all encouragement honor, and obedience in the Lord, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Paul, would you come up and charge these men? Buddy and Steve, you guys can sit down. Fellas, you get to stand up here while Paul speaks to you. Thank you, Kevin, and uh, congratulations, man. And hello to the congregation, and happy Mother's Day. And thank you for inviting Stacy and me today. What a great day, an historic day, actually, in the life of Grace Fellowship Church, with your recent growth and for the installation of these new officers. The life of the church at large goes on and cannot be stopped. The gates of hell cannot stop the bride of Christ. If I may, I want to... Uh, first address you, the congregation, of the significance of this event. It is not just some religious ceremony. Scripture tells us that it's a good thing that mature men aspire to the office of deacon and elder. They are given a big responsibility to oversee and encourage the flock by the word of God, to come alongside Pastor Kevin to assist, to lead, to teach, 
and govern as servants of the gospel. They are your servant leaders. Your officers carry a heavy load, and they need your prayers for strength, for courage, wisdom, discernment, and protection from the evil one. Your prayers are holding their arms up in battle. This church has been incorporated over a hundred years. This church has gone through many challenges, and this church, Grace Fellowship, is still here. Stronger than ever because God has had his hand on her all along. And I hope that encourages you by the impact you're having in Clanton, in Chilton County, for the kingdom. My encouragement to you is to keep going, keep praying, and keep believing. And now to the officers, men, my charge to you is very simple. Stick to the message to think and to live the gospel, but receive this charge knowing and believing that God's favor is with you all the time. A couple of points. Never forget his favor, his presence, and his uninterrupted love for you. God has called you as sons. Now he's called you to be shepherds. Men, do not be anxious or doubtful. When God calls you to something, He gives you the grace, and he equips you for every good work. The gospel is not just a message unto salvation, but it's a message of hope and rest for the believer going forward. You take the message wherever you go, with whatever you do, and in your relationship with God, your spouse, your children, your church family, and your work. Men, what characterizes your leadership is to take courage to tactfully confront and exhort others that leads to their freedom and their rest in Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, uh, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus unburdens his people with himself. He gives us himself. He gives us a non-yoke, a non-yoke of his gentleness and his kindness, that salvation does not come through religious observance of the law or performance, but as a gift by grace through faith. You cannot earn a gift. It necessarily must be given. This message, or shall we say Jesus' message, is our hope but it is also our identity. This is key because if it isn't, we will substitute the message with our idolatry, which leads us to slavery every time. So, I recently heard Richard Pratt, who is head of Third Millennium down in Florida, and he said of himself, quote, I go to church every Sunday so I can believe one more week. So as church officers... You are shepherds, so believe one more week so you can encourage the people to believe one more week. So in closing, I wanted to honor one of our fallen, Neil Vinson, who at this very moment is in the arms of his Redeemer and seeing him face to face. Neil was very wise as he was smart and a good husband, a good father, a good elder, had a good working knowledge of history, of scripture, a very good communicator, 
who always had a smile and an infectious belly laugh, but he was passionate about the kingdom. So um, I think one of his gifts, one of his best gifts that he deployed was his ability to engage with people who were burdened or in serious conflict. He would patiently, graciously demonstrate wise counsel. He exemplified Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Quote, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So bear one another's burdens and to fulfill the law of Christ. On a side note, Kevin recently asked me this question. Paul, if I, or he said, if I could go back in time, what would I have needed and wanted to hear about becoming an elder? Well, I'll answer you that question from a memory involving Neil Vincent. Many years ago, the session was confronted with a very tough situation that was quite risky and had consequences if the decision failed. At the time, Neil was on one of his uh, out-of-country experiences in New Zealand. And uh, on one evening, I spoke with Neil on the phone, and I explained our problem. He wisely said, quote, I will speak with my session here in New Zealand, and I'll get back with you. Some days later, he talked, or we talked again. Neil went on to explain that one of the wisest men on that particular session listened to our issue. He turns to Neil and asks him this question. He said, is this guy, Paul, is he an elder? And Neil stated that I was. And Neil's friend asked the question, so what's the problem? That one question, believe it or not, minister to me personally to get off of the fence of indecision. I later shared all of that with the session, and we eventually agreed to, agreed to move forward. But God was with us, and he met our need. Thanks be to God, the church is still here. <laughs> so I ask you, men, are you an elder? Are you a deacon? Well, then, be in the business of elding and deaking. So here's the issue. Take courage and do not be frightened or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. Praise be to God. Thank you, Paul. Ladies and gentlemen, your new elders and deacons. Let's stand uh, and give thanks to God, singing the doxology. If you're giving today, you can do so online or you can do so out in the gathering area and the plates that are available there. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. And praise Him above ye heavenly host. And praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Ah.